Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. There's this story in 1 Kings 17 when the prophet Elijah comes across this woman, a widow, and her son. And he asks her to feed him, and she says that they're out of oil and uh, flour, or they're on their last of it. And he tells her not to worry that God's going to provide. There's going to be enough oil and flour for everything they need. And sure enough, the jars never run dry. They always have what they need. And I had one of those moments this week because we've been rationing milk all week. Our son drinks a bottle every night before bed, and we started this snowstorm with only one gallon of milk. So no one else was allowed to have any milk because we wanted him to go to sleep, and he would not go to sleep without milk. And we were on the last drops of our gallon of milk when some friends from church showed up with a gallon of milk for us. Unasked for, they just brought it to our house. It was so awesome, and I was thankful for that. I really appreciate all the stories I'm hearing about the ways that you all have been church for each other this week. You've been reaching out for each other, checking on each other, and that's just awesome. And I'm thankful to be a part of a church like this. And when those friends of ours from this church showed up with that gallon of milk, I just got this glimpse, this small glimpse of grace. And it's the grace that Paul talks about in Romans 5. It's that grace on which we stand. And I want to think together a little bit about that today. So I had a different sermon plan for today, but it's a sermon, and we'll look at it next week. It's a sermon about a, a farmer that goes and scatters seed on all kinds of different soil, and those seeds grow into these plants. And it just felt like a weird sermon to preach in the middle of you know a blizzard outside when you can't even see any plants. They're all buried under snow. And then, of course, this has been a hard week in many ways, especially for those in Texas. And I'll talk about that in a second. And I just felt like I needed to, to look at a different passage than I had planned to look at this week and, and have a different conversation with you. And since we're online only this week, you know, my preference is that this would just feel more like I was sitting down in your living room having to chat with you over the Word of God about what we find here in the God's Word in a moment that has been challenging in, in many ways. <clears throat> so as we think together, as we start this conversation, you and I, uh, I remember a story. This was a, a story that the ESPN journalist Jesse Washington wrote in 2015. So this is on the 10-year anniversary of the Hurricane Katrina uh, disaster. And he starts the story with this line I have never forgotten. It's this haunting line. This is what he says. He says, it took only about a mile for Tashita Stallings to travel from helpless to hopeless. And then he tells the story of what took place in that mile. Tashita and a few of her family members were in a home that was flooded, and they were trapped on the upper stories of this home. They didn't see a way out until someone in a boat came by and picked them up and then took them to the Almanaster Bridge. And they thought that once they got to this bridge that they would walk over the other side of this arched bridge and they would see safety and relief and rescue on the other side. And she said what happens as they walked a few steps over the top of that bridge is when they looked down the other side, it was completely submerged in floodwaters on that side too. And now they were just trapped on this elevated, elevated bridge 
with nowhere to go. She'd gone from helpless in her home within a mile to hopeless, absolutely hopeless. And I thought about that story this week as I was talking with one of my friends in Texas. He lives in Abilene. And I called him up and and he talked about just the dire situation they were in. They had been boiling water since day one of that storm. Pipes had burst all over the city and homes of dear friends of ours in that city. Uh, People had had to escape to these shelters where they were running on generators. I mean, it was an apocalyptic scene. And he said, Eric, we thought our problem was COVID-19. And then we ran into this. And I thought about that story of Tashita Stallings and Hurricane Katrina, you know, thinking her problem is her home going underwater, being taken to this bridge, walking over the other side and thinking she's out of it and looking down and seeing more floodwaters. It's kind of like that out of the frying pan and into the fire moment. Like my friend said, Eric, we thought COVID-19 was the problem. And then this happened. I mean, you all know that Lindsay and I are from Texas, and so most of our family members are in Texas. So many of our friends that we love really dearly are in Texas, and it has been a really hard week for them. Lindsay's family, uh, her mom and dad, their house was without power for several days. They had to escape finally to Lindsay's sister's house, only to get a call that water was pouring out of their garage. They go back home and they see two to three inches of water throughout the house because a pipe had burst. I mean, it's just a disaster. It's a disaster there. And our hearts have been heavy for them and other friends all week. We've got some friends who have got brand new triplets that they just brought home from the hospital. They had all kinds of complications because they were born premature. They bring them home, so they've got to make these bottles of formula and stuff like that. And their power goes out and they're stranded and they can't go anywhere else. I mean, it was a nightmare of a situation. And those situations have put into perspective for Lindsay and I, the, you know, the milk rationing we've had to do this week or the little bit of damage we've had to our home during this storm, like back in comparison, it's really not much. And of course, at the same time, you know, we've got this disaster taking place in Texas. And then, and then we're, you know, out in our front yard building an igloo for our boys, or, or maybe you took your kids sledding You know, our experience of this same storm has been so different here in Memphis and and there in Texas, right? And which is not to say we don't have our own problems. We've now got drinking water issues here in Memphis. We've got those without power here. Okay, so it's not to say that we're without problems here, but isn't it, I mean, isn't it striking that our experience of the same situation can be so different? You know, what we know in Texas is that the crisis is largely a result of the failure of the power grid there that everybody relies on, rich and poor, everybody relies on the same power grid to warm their homes, to keep their pipes warm, and that power grid goes out and everything collapses. And what it reminds me of, or what it clarifies for me, is that our experience of this world is entirely dependent on the reliability of what we are standing on. You know, the way we experience anything in life is totally dependent on the reliability of what we're standing on. Lindsay's dad called us this week after they found their house flooded, and he said, Eric, life is so fragile. You know, something as simple as the power going out, and you can lose everything just like that. Okay. So much in our life depends on the reliability of what we're standing on. 
And that's why I want to look today at this passage in Romans 4 and 5. We're going to leave the Mark series, and we're just going to talk really basic about what is it that a Christian's life is, you know, what are we standing on? What is our life based on? And so we're going to go to Romans 4 to look at that together. All right. This is Romans 4, starting in verse 17. So to set this up, if you go back a little bit throughout this passage, uh, Paul's been describing to us Abraham, who's this father to all of us in the faith. You can read about Abraham's story in Genesis. Abraham was really old. He and Sarah, his wife, were really old when God promised them that they were going to have children, which they'd never had, and that those children were going to be the seed of the rest of humanity on this earth. And so this is what we read, starting in verse 17. So Abraham is our father in the eyes of God, in whom he had faith. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. When it was beyond hope, he had faith in the hope that he would become the father of many nations in keeping with the promise that God had spoke to him. That's how many descendants you will have. That was God's promise. Without losing faith, Abraham, who was nearly 100 years old, took into account his own body, which was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb, which was dead. He didn't hesitate with the lack of faith in God's promise, but he grew strong in faith and gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, and therefore it was credited to him as righteous. Okay, here's this, this passage. And again, the setting is Abraham and Sarah are too old to have kids. And this is something that in this world means everything. This is what they have longed for their whole life. And they are hopeless at this point that that will actually happen until, okay, until God comes into their life and makes this promise. But this, this scripture makes clear here that this was a situation that was beyond hope. Okay. So it's a situation that's beyond hope. But notice the language. Look in verse... Um, 18, he had faith in the hope, all right? Look at verse 19, without losing faith. Look at verse 20, he didn't hesitate with the lack of faith, but he goes on, he grew strong in the faith. I used a, a visual aid last week. I'm going to do it again this week. Last week when I did it, Kevin, our graphic artist, made fun of me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again for Kevin's sake. Um, all right, here's this like kind of cheesy faith meter here. But I think it's helpful to look at as we think about what's being described here in Romans 4. So what we read is that, is that Abraham is in a situation where faith would be really difficult. But noticeably, his faith... Let's seize this pen for this. Noticeably, his faith doesn't decrease in this moment when it's beyond hope, we're told. His faith doesn't decrease. Also, his faith doesn't stay the same. What actually happens is that his faith grows in the middle of this really hard moment. Right? His faith actually increases as things get harder. That's what verse 20 says. He grew strong in faith in this season when he's waiting on God to deliver what God's promised. So there we talked about our, our faith meter, but we could also think about, because the two words are used interchangeably in this passage and then in Romans 5, the same thing could be said for a hope meter. You know, here's this situation that's beyond hope. Think of what Tashita Stallings was facing as she got on that bridge and looked down the other side to see more flood water. That's the exact kind of situation Abraham's in. This is a situation where his hope should be decreasing and instead, his faith in the hope, his hope is increasing in this situation. 
All right, so this is one of the things that makes Christian faith different from every other faith out there, and that is that we believe your faith and your hope are not contingent on the quality of your experiences in life in any given moment. In fact, this is what makes Christian faith unique. We believe that your faith can grow when things get harder. Your hope can actually increase, not decrease. Your hope can increase when things are hard. Uh, This week, I came across this story of Louise Cecilia Fleming, or Lulu, as she was called. She was born in Florida in 1862. She was born a slave. Uh, She was freed. She went on to attend Shaw University, where she was the valedictorian. And she was a strong Christian, and she heads to Congo in Africa to begin mission work there. She's a young woman at this time. She's saving souls. She's like seeing God's work in these amazing ways in Africa, but it's also this brutally difficult experience. And while she's there, she gets really sick. She has to return to America to recover. And so while she's recovering from this sickness, she realizes that those who she's left in Africa don't have access to the same medical care that she does. So she enrolls in medical school. And she's one of the first African-American women to do so at the time. She enrolls in medical school. And instead of staying here, she goes back to Congo and begins to practice really one of the early forms of medical mission work that we have in the modern world. And she stays there and she's just working among these people. And it is brutally difficult. And she would send back these letters, these reports. And one of these letters, she says this, and it struck me as I was thinking about this passage. She said this. She said, this seems a poor report. Talking about the letter that she's sending back. And perhaps many may think the worst, uh, many may think the work almost discouraging. But to us whom God has given the privilege of labor here, it is very encouraging. It fills us with unspeakable Joy, she said. Okay, how can you be in the middle of just brutally difficult seasons of work or brutally difficult seasons of life like have been produced by this storm for many in Texas and elsewhere, some even here in Memphis? I mean, how can you be in a season like that and be filled with unspeakable joy? How can you be in a season like that and your hope and your faith actually increase? Okay, so what happens for most of us when we enter a dark season like this, or like the one the waiting that Abraham's in, is that we begin to doubt God. And we say, you know, what's going on with God right now? How is God changing that I'm experiencing a really difficult situation like this? What we know from Scripture is that God is unchanging. We're going to talk about that next week. Nothing has changed about God based on what I'm experiencing in life. Instead, what I should be asking is, how am I changing in this moment? Because that is what Scripture confirms. God is unchanging, but humans, you and I, are always changing. Like Abraham, we are either growing or we're growing empty, right? One way or the other, humans, you and I, are always changing. God is not. So the question is like, how do I grow or change in hope, in faith, and joy when life is really difficult? Well, that's what Paul goes on to talk about in Romans 5, the very next verses. So let's skip down to Romans 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to pick up here. Therefore, he talks directly about this. Therefore, since we have been made, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, he's talking about Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through Him. 
Remember we talked about you know, what determines our response to any experience is the reliability of what we are standing on. So he says, into this grace in which we stand through him. And we boast in the hope of God's glory. Listen to this. But not only that, we even take pride in our problems. We take pride in our problems because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And this hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Okay. Um, I've got one more illustration for us here to try to make sense of this passage, and then I'll put these down and we can just talk. What you can imagine if we're, you know, if I'm in your living room and we're just having a conversation, is maybe I've reached over, I've grabbed a napkin, and I'm just jotting down, we're drawing it out, what Paul describes here, and I'll just leave this napkin with you and you can think about it as we leave here this morning. All right. What Paul says, <clears throat> these, are, these are doors for the record, Kevin. What Paul says is that faith opens this door into a different kind of life. And there's actually two kinds of faith in operation here in Romans 5. The first is the faithfulness of Jesus. What he means by that is that Jesus is faithful to his calling to give himself for you and I. Jesus is faithful, and his faith matters most of all. But secondarily is my response of faith to the faithful work of Jesus Christ. And when I respond in faith to what Jesus has done, when I give myself to Jesus Christ, what happens is I move through a door and I now have a new footing. Okay, I'm standing on a new foundation. And what Paul calls that foundation here is grace. Okay, he says we, by, we have access by faith, access by faith into this grace in which we stand through Him. So you and I now stand on top of the grace of God, all right? Here's us on top of God's grace. Okay, if we have not given ourselves to Jesus Christ, we have not moved through this door, and then we are not standing on the grace. Okay? And you think about if, if I'm entering a hopeless situation, which so many in our world are, if I have not entered through this doorway, then I am not standing on this foundation. And as we sink, all other ground is sinking sand, okay? What I want to do is I want to be on something firm. And Paul says, because of what Jesus has done, and if you accept what Jesus has done, if you believe in that, if you have faith in that, you move through this door into a place with a new foundation. We call that grace. But this is what he says. Okay, just because you're standing on grace doesn't mean life's going to be easy. He uses two words. He says, in this life, you'll have problems and you'll have trouble. Okay? Just because you have problems or trouble does not mean that God is no longer gracious. What Paul says is that this is something that can't be taken away from us. He goes on to describe it in the following verses. He says, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been made righteous. That's what he's talking about with this grace. God sees us differently and not only sees us differently, but gives us a different foundation to stand on, which does not mean we won't have problems or trouble. But then he goes on to say this. He says, if you have problems or trouble, what, the, what that is going to produce in you is endurance and character. Okay. But if you're standing on the, the footing of grace, when you have problems or trouble in this life, 
those will actually serve to make you a different kind of person. A person who is able to endure difficulties, a person that has endurance, and a person that has character. Um, sometimes people, when they think about the troubles that we have in this world, they ask the question of why would God design a world like that? Why would God design a world in which a storm could knock out a power grid in an entire state and many people would suffer? Okay. Well, there are, we can talk about also the work of evil and the enemy and the problems of this world. But one of the responses that's often given and it's worth thinking about is that if God's desire is to form us into the people he desires us to be, that one of the ways that we, God might do that is by designing a world which produces in us the kind of character we need. Okay, the, uh, we all know that going through trouble and hardships produces in us a kind of character, a kind of endurance, a kind of resilience. And that's what God wants in his people. So from that perspective, it would make sense that this world would not be easy all the time. Right? So he goes on to say, Problems and trouble will produce endurance and character in your life. But then this is the big thing. The fruit of all this is that if you are standing on grace, through growing in endurance and increasing in your character, the fruit of that will be more hope in your life. You will not look at situations like those on that bridge and feel hopeless you will grow in hope. You will not look at situations like Abraham did. Situations, if you look in chapter 4, there's this language of death. You know, death is all around the scene. Impossibility. You won't look at situations of death and impossibility with hopelessness because it is growing inside of you through the difficulties of life. All right, and then this is what's great. He goes on in verse 5 and he says this. If this hope grows inside of you, this hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, so this is the best part. Hope is what unlocks this last door. And from this door, God's love from the great beyond, from heaven, flows towards us and we experience it in this life. So the problems of life, because we're standing in God's grace, the problems of life only produce in us more hope, not less. And because we are increasing in hope, we are feeling or experiencing God's love all the more. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. I mean, this is what makes Christianity different from every other religion. Every other religion promises ways to get out of hardship. What Christianity says is in the midst of your hardship, God can make you into a better person a person with more endurance, better character, and filled, most of all, with hope in Him. And as you grow in hope, like Abraham did, you will experience the love of God ever more in your life. I mean, doesn't that sound good? What Paul lays out here is that it is impossible for you to experience this love without going through hardship in this life. Okay. <clears throat> I was thinking this week about as I watched the snowfall and I was thinking about the grace on which we stand. One of the ways that that grace is des described in scripture is through the imagery of snow. Y you probably remember this passage. This is in Isaiah 1, 18. This is from the NRSV. I think it's a little bit better translation. This is God talking to Israel and he says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And you and I are looking out our windows at the snow all around us. But what, what I want you to imagine is that we have this heavenly perspective and we're looking down on the snow-covered ground. If you think about all of the pollution, all the sin, all the hurt that the, our world bears the marks of. And then in a moment, in a week, you have all of this snowfall and cover it up. And it just is heaped on top of this so that all of that that was hurting and broken is just covered up. You know, Scripture uses that imagery to describe what God does for us through Jesus Christ. That Jesus takes what's broken or red or scarlet about us, the sin of our life, and he covers it up with this snow. Jesus Christ, his grace upon grace just covers us up. And that is the grace on which we stand. Uh, a few months ago, we lost our dear brother, Tim Flat. I've talked about him a couple of times. Tim Flat was fa- uh, fighting cancer for a couple of years, and it was a difficult battle. And as we bore witness to in Tim's funeral, he never lost faith during that time. In fact, this is what was remarkable. It was like his faith was increasing the whole time. It was like his faith was just growing the whole time. Even though he was fighting cancer, his faith was just growing. David, his brother, told me that as he was sitting at the hospital bedside with his dad in his final moments, that he leaned forward and took his dad's hand in his. And he told his dad, Dad, cancer is not your biggest problem. And Christ has already conquered your biggest problem. And he said that his dad, Tim, and this is in his final moments, his dad, Tim, squeezed his, son, his son's hand. And he said, son, the victory's already been won. <clears throat> you know, I've been thinking a lot about who we are going to be on the tail end, on the other side of this pandemic. Who are we going to be as a church? You know, we have endured this really difficult season. Um... And, you know, here we were moving, kind of moving, beginning to move out of that season, entering phase two, bringing back kids programming and stuff. And then we're just hammered with this storm. And we got to take another week off of meeting on site. It's just like, like things like this just continue to shake us. And I'm just so tired of it. You know, I'm like tired of these experiences. And not only that, my heart is breaking for all these people I know and love in Texas. And I've been thinking, it's like, what kind of people are we going to be on the other side of this? And what scripture tells us is that because of what Jesus Christ has done, we stand firmly on the grace of God and that that grace is reliable. It will not go out. It will never fail. We don't have to worry about the grid failing on us. That grace is reliable. It is overwhelming. It is constant. And that's the grace on which we stand. And so, you know, the people we're going to be on the other side of this, well, I think we're going to be better people. People who can enter difficult times knowing that the victory is already won. Right? Knowing that we stand on unshakable grace. People who are filled with the hope that comes from Jesus Christ. And can you imagine? Can you imagine what God will do with a church that is filled with that kind of hope?